Hey, sweetie, what do you think of our new car from Carvana? Think it can handle our busy family? Well, we have seven days to see. First, we can take the scenic route to the beach and stargaze through the moonroof. We'll see if your drums fit in the trunk. Then we can pick up Mommy's friends and check out that leg room. And we should really visit Grandma. She's getting up there. That's like a whole lifetime in seven days. And like one busy family. With our seven-day money-back guarantee, you can confidently shop for cars 100% online. Visit Carvana.com for all terms and conditions. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome to the Mental Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Davis. I'm a not-for-profit executive, podcaster, and mental health storyteller. Wealth is derived from the Middle English term wealth, which means well-being and happiness, or a life exemplified by abundance, happiness, purpose, health, and joy. In this short docu-series produced by Purposeful in partnership with Cooper Investors, I'll be taking you on a journey exploring the state of mental health and well-being in Australia. Over the series, I'll be telling you my mental health story and also sharing commentary from a range of experts on everything related to our mental health system here in Australia. We'll look at what works, what is missing, and how we can all work together towards better mental wealth. Welcome this week to our episode on the intersection between mental health and homelessness. We are joined this week by leaders working across these sectors, including Ben Vasilio from Youth Projects, Nick Pearce from Homey, to Neil Gilbert from Society Melbourne, and Andrew Hollows from Launch Housing. First up is my conversation with Ben Vasilio from Youth Projects. So Ben, I might just ask, uh, start by asking you, what does good mental health look like or sound like to you? Great question. I think if we were to think about good mental health in the same regard as good physical health, it's about um, taking care of ourselves, um, nurturing ourselves and giving us plenty of time to reflect, um, but also enjoy the present moment. I think if we were to consider um, the strategies to take care of good mental health, there's lots there that really around mindfulness and meditation, but also being able to give yourself um, plenty of time to consider, you know, what is important to you and possibly what are the things that you could let go. I think the more we talk about uh, mental health being as important as physical health, people realise that opening up conversation and communication is critically important. Whether you're experiencing good or poor mental health, talking about it creates an environment that's incredibly positive for people. Uh, And I also think that we should focus on the physical aspects because we know all of the research and evidence suggests that um, the better your physical health, um, the better the impact on your mental health. That's very well said, Ben. Um, and if we just think about sort of the intersection between mental health and homelessness, what levels of homelessness are we currently experiencing in Victoria? Sure. Well, I mean, look, it, on all levels of homelessness, there's over 25,000 Victorians who are homeless every single night, um, which is of grave concern. Research indicates that more than a third of people who are experiencing homelessness are enduring uh, a mental illness or poor mental health at the same time. So co-occurring. My challenge with that data and evidence, though, is that's all types of homelessness, a primary, um, tertiary, secondary. If we think about people who are sleeping rough, so sort of um, street homelessness, our experience, particularly with our services uh, across Melbourne CBD, would be as high as 90% of people sleeping rough or enduring poor mental health. And so if we think about youth specifically, how impacted are youth 
by homelessness as a group? And is there sort of a unique set of needs or, or different approach required for, for youth experiencing homelessness? Yeah, there's an incredible need. And it really concerns me, Mike, to be honest. I mean, we know that around a quarter of all Victorians who are uh, experiencing homelessness are young people. So we're talking about 6,000 young people. Now, one of the great challenges um, with supporting young people who are experiencing homelessness is that a vast majority of them are um, couch surfing or house hopping. You know, they may have been fleeing a very unsafe environment, experiencing some real critical challenges at home, but they may not necessarily have um, fallen to the streets yet. So there's a really, really big challenge there. We know that of the young people we support um, in the homelessness space in the northwest of Melbourne, more than half are experiencing mental illness, uh, and that's diagnosed. And of the other half, we would suggest in our experience um, that there would be a, a large majority of those who have been undiagnosed. Now, the challenge is that the system really works towards pushing young people back to a family environment, which we believe if it's a healthy environment is the best place for them. But a lot of times it's not necessarily a healthy environment. Now, particularly for the young people that we support, they're incredibly vulnerable. A lot of them are entrenched in a cycle of poverty and they may not necessarily have the extended family or friendship circles to be able to lean on. So what happens is that they start to um, build friendships or connections with people experiencing the same distress as them. Uh, and therein lies a significant problem with youth homelessness is that it can lead to substance misuse, uh, offending or, you know, ending up in a justice system, which is a, a very grave concern for us right now in Victoria. So if we had to think a bit about um, what are the key challenges or barriers to overcome uh, in preventing or, or having early intervention for youth homelessness, what might they be? Sure. There's a couple of things. The first thing that I would say, I'm really passionate about um, the, the voice of the people, so consumer voice. I think that we should be asking that question of young people themselves and people sleeping rough or experiencing homelessness to understand how they ended up in the position that they are because every person's journey is incredibly unique and then engage them with how we should be mapping a journey back um, to some level of stability uh, and getting people back on their feet. I think for young people, um, we know, obviously, the cognitive function of their brain. They're not fully developed yet, so they haven't developed all of the resilience and necessarily life skills to get them through crisis or a challenging situation. I think that on the surface, youth uh, services for mental health uh, are, are decent. You know, we've got the likes of uh, headspace models and community health models, but the challenge is a majority of those are full and the wait lists are incredibly high. Um, we also know that there's not enough mental health clinicians that understand, uh, well, there's not enough mental health clinicians that work right across the brand of support services that young people need. I mean, one of the challenges of the Victorian mental health system is we look at the mental health issue or poor mental health record first as opposed to the whole person. And if we were to really consider making some great strides in our, our mental health system, we'd be looking through the social determinants of health and incorporating all the elements of that young person's life and helping them on their journey back to stable mental health. Very well said. And um, so if we have to think a bit about the key innovations that are helping us to uh, reduce or eliminate homelessness, what, what, what might they be? Yeah, sure. There's, there's a couple of really good models. I always look internationally to um, the Finnish Housing First model. And when we say Housing First, the Finnish model has been incredibly successful because finding the house is first, but then the support services stay with that particular person, the consumer, and they wrap around mental health, employment supports, physical health supports, family violence supports, and really un undertake an individualised approach to that particular person's reason for being homeless. 
So, you know, internationally, there's some best practice. Here in Australia, um, there's some great models around um, housing first, particularly with the Rough Sleepers Initiative. Uh, so uh, in Melbourne CBD, we, we work with the Rough Sleepers Initiative who target people who are sleeping rough, connect them with emergency and temporary housing. I think that's working uh, pretty well. But sadly, uh, in all honesty, that's where it ends. Um, the Victorian government has announced a homelessness to home package. It's worth about $150 million, um, but it's yet to get any legs and it hasn't uh, hasn't hit the ground yet. We are really excited by that because it will it will actually broker 1,000 new private rental brokerage uh, across Victoria for people experiencing homelessness to get access to, and they'll get a support package, so be followed by a caseworker. I think that's really innovative, but it hasn't hit the ground yet. The, the homelessness system is uh, is definitely um, just behind the mental health system in terms of its efficiency. <clears throat> We've seen some incredible discrimination, some incredible bias for people who are experiencing poor mental health during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, they've either been refused housing or booted out of temporary hotel accommodation. Now, a, a small number of those cases, I completely understand it might be through property damage or poor behaviour, but a majority of the people are experiencing and enduring significant mental health issues. And what we're doing is just looking at the accommodation. We need to be looking at the whole person and understand why some of those behaviour behaviours have been displayed and why they're putting their housing at risk. Next up, I talked to Nick Pearce from Hobie. So I'm just keen to understand what levels of homelessness are we currently experiencing in Victoria? Look, in Victoria, um, and obviously in particular given the current sort of state of affairs, um, you know, we, we, we have um, almost over sort of 20,000 people who are um, considered to be experiencing homelessness on any given night. And, um, you know, within that, homelessness, as we know, is, is, is not just that living rough component. You know, there is certainly that element, which obviously in our city itself is very apparent. I'm sure every single person who has frequented the city has experienced um, someone who's living rough. Um, but as we know, obviously the vast majority of homelessness is transpiring, um, you know, in other areas. You know, it's obviously that, you know, people couch surfing, sleeping in cars, in, um, you know, sort of supported housing, temporary accommodation, et cetera. And the reality is also that our numbers for homelessness in terms of statistics are never going to be entirely accurate because of the key consideration that um, people who are couch surfing, um, it's not an accurate reflection. We, we're, we're missing people. We actually, the, the, the issue is understated that there are people who obviously aren't self-reporting and that the issue itself is bigger than what the numbers tell us. So, you know, obviously on a, on a national level, we're now at almost 120,000 plus people experiencing homelessness. Um, but obviously, as we also know, I think most recently um, we, we, we um, identified that it was seven or so thousand people who are living rough. So largely 113,000 people, um, you know, who are experiencing homelessness in, in various ways, shapes and forms. So um, in Victoria, we, we always make up a big percentage with, with that number. And what about the, if you could just speak about the, the overlap between mental health issues or people experiencing mental health issues and people mm. experiencing homelessness, it sort of seems that they often come together. Look, absolutely. Like it's, it, it's, you know, we, we talk about also the language we use is sort of, you know, these at-risk factors and, and people who, you know, I guess um, are predisposed to becoming, you know, more um, more likely to have any experience um, like this. And um, it, it is, you know, 
such a significant contributing factor and, and particularly in, in the youth homelessness space. I mean, I was looking recently, there was a specialist homelessness services um, annual report that they did for 2018, 2019. Um, and um, there's more than two in five um, young people had reported, um, you know, a current mental health issue. Um, and that was sort of taken from around 20 or so thousand clients. So, you know, it's, it's something that it's, it's not minute um, by any means, but, but largely speaking, um, the, the, the leading contributing factors to homelessness, you know, there's a number of things, obviously shortage of affordable housing, you know, is, is very much in the forefront. Um, and then obviously just that, that domestic violence, family breakdown component um, and, and, and then mental health and, and, and mental illness is obviously also um, a key player in that. But as you say, they're all interconnected. You know, those things lead to mentally poor health or mentally ill health um, for a lot right. of people. Um, it's almost you know, about thinking, you know, do we tackle mental health sort of first as a starting point because we know that it leads to homelessness or do we sort of look at homelessness as a contributor to mental health and, and sort of that? Mm. Those, those You're right. I mean, it's double-edged sword. Like they are so interconnected and and and, and they do feed off one another and, and, and they equally fester. I mean, if you're experiencing homelessness, for the most part, you know, your mental health is going to deteriorate. Um, but also if you're in a state of potentially already being quite unwell, um, both sort of, you know, whether that's sort of physically and, and mentally, um, that that can also obviously ensure that you are predisposed to experiencing um, homelessness eventually being maybe the um, the end game. So you're right, it's once again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lose-lose situation. Um, but I think the other key thing is that... Um, and one thing that we're really passionate about always sort of um, make people aware of is that people talk about, you know, substance and alcohol abuse, you know, and, and that being sort of, you know, the biggest contributing factor to homelessness and in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's less than 5%, but we need to understand the place of, and that's as a direct result of that habit or tendency. But we need to understand that, you know, you would think that almost every single person or the vast majority um uh, are turning to, to, to that outlet as a result again of, of, of having a mental health issue or, or you know um, you know potentially mental illness so it is one of those things that just it's so stigmatized and misunderstood as you say but um, there is such a, a prevalence of of, of of mental health and mental illness within this particular issue but so many broader social issues as well so you're right it's one of those things if we can get it right if we can develop more understanding and empathy towards you know, um, practical support, um, then we can certainly, by solving one of those, you're going to see significantly increased benefits to the other um, and, and potential solutions for the other as well. So I guess that's the flipping the coin on its head is it's not lose-lose. If we can win one of these battles, we're, we're going a fair way towards winning the war. <laughs> well, it's not, you know it's not not, not combat <laughs> well well said and i mean you touched on it before about sort of practical advice and guidance and you know changing our attitudes and perceptions but i wonder what you think are some of the key innovations that are sort of playing out to to help us reduce or eliminate homelessness look i think um what we're seeing is that these there's these models that are providing this holistic level of support and they're really special and, 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 and they're highly effective. They're high touch though, obviously, which means that obviously they often can be quite expensive and, 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 and resource intensive, et cetera, and all the rest of it. But, you know, there are these wonderful models and these operations where, you know, a, a person has access to everything, you know, social, emotional, financial, security and housing, stability. And it's just giving that person that level of security, but 
access to everything that any human being requires to be able to be at their healthiest and happiest. Um, and, and it's wonderful to see that there are those initiatives that can exist themselves already, but we're also seeing an, an increasing level of collaboration between services that can fulfill part of, you know, that person's sort of fibre to make or their makeup to make them whole um, and working together to ensure that there is obviously this holistic level of care. I mean, one model which is is is, is really popular and, and rightly so and, and something that I'm very um, I guess passionate about is this notion of these foyers that they talk about, these youth foyers, um, which are essentially is have, have become these one stop shops um, where, you know, they are providing um, you know, housing, accommodation, um, to, to to young people who are at risk. Um, but within those um, um, places they, they have in-house specialists in in all those areas you know social support um mental health workers etc so i mean what what better structure to give you know a person a, a chance of success and having it right at their fingertips and their disposal um but for everything you know so if one element is not working then you've got that other resource that's there to to provide support so that you know that person has literally every single cylinder firing so i think um those are the places that we need to look at investing in more heavily um, and, and shining a light on where it's looking at the person holistically as a human um, and, and, and considering all the elements that we require to be, you know, healthy and happy and successful and not just one of those. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. I, I think that's probably covering most of it. Um, do you want to, like, you know, this is just for you sort of whether you want to answer it, but when, when you were kind of experiencing your mental health um, mm. issues at the start and on that journey, did you kind of s- sort of face any real challenges or gaps in the system that sort of made, made it hard for you to access the care that you needed? Mm, mm. Great question. I mean, yeah, look, I think um, in some ways I, I can reflect on, I know what for a lot of people um, is a big challenge. Um, and, but look, I, for myself personally, like I was very fortunate, as I say, that I had um, a, you know, a lived experience with um, that was shared with, with a family member who was also, um, you know, a health professional who was able to guide me, obviously, um, you know, in the right direction. But one thing that um, I was made fully aware of through, you know, w- working at Headspace for a while and being part of their, you know, youth advisory um, committee, both locally and, 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 and nationally, was, was our first touch points. And it's not just about these services um, that exist, but um, first impressions last. I mean, it's a saying that um, we, we we hear um, you know all too often, but it is it's very true. And and one thing that um, I always encourage people who um, potentially do reach out to me and and, and uh, you know talking about seeking help, etc., is that just because it's the first touch point that you go to doesn't mean it's the best and 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 a lot of feedback around you know there are young gps there are old gps there are you know there that that is where people largely are, are you know um directed to you know as that first port of call because obviously you need to have a a mental health care plan developed etc to be able to then access that next layer etc if you don't go via these amazing services that exist you know such as you know headspace or origin etc so um you know one thing that you hear is that people get so deterred and and um and may have a negative experience because they've mustered up all that strength and courage and, and i can remember you know how much effort it felt like it was like a marathon getting out the front door so to to even just do that then go to you know a place where you're you have this expectation or at least this hope that there's going to be something positive happen and then for it not to be the experience that you had hoped for and then that person can be lost like that person that can be 
that that was their one shot, you know, at at um, that pathway for them. And what we need to also encourage people is they need to find the right fit for them. Just because someone is a mental health professional doesn't mean they're the right one for you as well. So you know, you got you got to encourage people to find the connection with the person. Um, a qualification, absolutely, you know, is 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 half of it. But you need to make sure that you connect with this person um, because you know they are you are you are giving of yourself. And, and as are they, um, so that's one thing that I think um, you know I've 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 heard from 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 a feedback perspective. But I've also I haven't just seen one psychologist, one psychiatrist. I've seen many, and I've had to find the one that you know worked to me that really I felt understood me, etc. But I think that first touch point, whether it's accessing a centre and a service, and you, you look at you know the importance of a receptionist working in a headspace centre, etc. You know they they need to get the right person there because that's the first person that some person who's coming in for the first time is going to engage with so i think um you know they're just some reflections and observations is that you know we need to make sure that the first impression is the right one or if it's not that we're also um saying to people that well there are other options out there for you that just because that was you know the person you went to initially doesn't mean that that's the right person to continue to go see that's a really critical point you raised just about that sort of first touch point. If there, if there was something that you thought you needed to change or you, you thought should change about the mental health system as it is currently, does anything sort of come to mind? Well, I think there are, there are barriers in, in, in a lot of ways in the sense that we, we have these amazing services and models that do exist already. So I don't think it's about knocking what, what's, what's happening there. But um, I know that we have these extreme wait lists and the demand is, is is bigger than the supply and that's not a knock by any means but it's just an awareness and it's the same that goes to homelessness etc is that the reality that we're faced with is that there are more people who are suffering or experiencing you know um, this challenge um, than what we can currently provide you know the appropriate adequate level of you know um, support to so we need to actually recognize that obviously elevate that and make sure that the people who have influence and power um understand that you know with some tweaking with some um some reallocation with additional spend etc yeah you know how how better off we will be um to be able to provide greater access so i think access is the key thing is that almost any person from any background can can access um some level of support but some people will get that within the day and some people might only get that within the month or the year that that may be the journey it takes them to actually be able to have that level of support and care and and it might be too late by then so you know we need to make sure that every person or our waiting lists uh uh you know how do we do that good question that's a challenge but you know for some people waiting too long is, is is too long next up i talked to neil gilbert from society melbourne well, maybe we'll get started by just asking you, what, what does good mental health and well-being look like uh, for you? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really big question at the moment, especially amongst COVID. I think it's a question we've all got to be asking ourselves. And I think for a long time I I let good mental health just be, you know, it felt like it was the norm and, and poor mental health was when I really focused on it. Um, and I've definitely shifted personally to try and work on good mental health. So, for me, it's when I am kind of, you know, I'm I'm eating well, I'm exercising, I've got a nice routine in my life, I'm I'm socializing. I guess, you know, that um, always searching for that balance um, is probably where the good mental health often finds itself. Um, 
but yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's sleeping well as well, but it's a point where my brain is hopefully not kind of rushing around and thinking about hundreds of things at once. It's allowing focus and it's allowing time for myself. Mm. That's really well said. And maybe to talk a little bit about your work um, at Society Melbourne and some of the broader sort of impact, what kind of levels of homelessness are we experiencing and how much of a a role does mental health play in that? Mm, Yeah. Um, So homelessness is is a huge issue and unfortunately it's only been going up in the last 10 years or so. It's not something we're actually adequately addressing despite the resources that we have as a country, as a state. Um, In Victoria, I think we've got about 22,000 people experiencing homelessness um, and about 6,000 or a quarter of those are young people. So we know that young people are, you know, relatively disproportionately represented um, in the homelessness space. And that kind of number, although I'm talking to Victoria, spreads out across Australia pretty similarly or about that 25% rate. Um, and I guess, you know, we know that these young people a lot of the time are coming from broken homes. Family breakdown is is really the highest um, kind of, you know, cause of young people falling into the homelessness cycle. And we do know that a lot of people are coming into the homelessness cycle with poor mental health or with mental illness, um, but also that they're developing poor mental health and mental illness whilst they're in the cycle. And it's not it's not hard to draw those connections and go, well, you know, of course, you know, the most resilient of us would not be able to go into an experience of homelessness and still be able to kind of maintain positive mental health that whole time it's you know it's a very tough thing to do and so there's very clear um crossovers between those two um those two problems really in society um and how they both affect each other and so what do you think might be some of the um barriers to overcome in order to get get better at the whole space and to ensure less young people are on the streets Mm. yeah it's, it's a big question um I think it comes, you know, firstly, there's always that preventative approach. So we go back to, you know, it's family breakdowns that are causing a lot of these young people to leave their homes. And, you know, families are the structure that as young people we lean on, you know, and usually, not usually necessary, but for a lot of us, for myself, for example, that structure was always there for me. And I think as we're transitioning through teenagehood, through young adulthood, that's what we're really relying on is that we can all kinds of things can be happening with our body, with our mind, with our lives, um, but that family structure will always be there to come back to. And so when you don't have that to rely on, that kind of completely changes, it changes everything really. Um, and so we need to have that kind of early intervention and that understanding that homelessness can happen to anybody, um, but kind of what what are those key indicators that are leading to young people experiencing homelessness and how do we identify them early? How do we perhaps identify them in, in schools, in community spaces, in, you know, sports groups, whatever it might be? And to me, so much of it is it's it's talking about the issue, it's understanding the issue more, and I guess it, it overlays again really nicely with, with, you know, maybe not nicely, but it overlays with um, mental health there in the way that we go, well, that's a very similar track we need to go down. We, we have to understand what's going on. We have to be aware. And it's almost like, you know, you've got – You've got first aid courses and things like that, you know, for which a lot of people have to do to um, to work in certain workplaces to assess, okay, something physically wrong usually has happened here um, and I'm now first aid trained to go and deal with that. We don't 
we don't have people in those kind of roles for mental health a lot of the time. You know, there are courses, but it's quite you know rare for people to do them. And we don't, we certainly don't have it for homelessness for, you know, that, it, you know, creating that general understanding across the public of, of that's what we need to identify. So I think that's a really big starting point. But of course, when, once young people find themselves in that system, it's creating spaces where they can build themselves back up again and, and create, you know, refine their independence. So, you know, we know that if you're a young person, if you're any person and you are sleeping rough or you're couch surfing or you're experiencing homelessness in any way, um, you you cannot be expected to rebuild your life from that position. It's just near impossible to do so. We need to be providing that shelter in that house first, that very base level um, need that most of us are lucky enough to have, and then we can start building on that. So I see that as being really important and investing the resources really early um, to then push through the rest of the steps and things like education and employment, which we work with at Society Melbourne um, is obviously essential, but we can't, we we can't, and we and we don't um, work with young people who don't have a safe and stable place to live because we know that we we won't be setting them up for success, unfortunately. It's a terrific response. Um, maybe I'll ask you as a follow on: What are some of the key innovations that are helping us um, tackle homelessness, especially amongst youth? Mm, yeah, um, I think a big thing is we're starting to recognize young people as individuals and not just a group of this is a group of young people and therefore they all need this particular solution um it's it's a pretty you know i, I probably shouldn't you know to me it's a pretty simple con- concept <laughs> um but i guess to some people it's a new concept right um and it does require more resources it does require um more investment of course um but what it means is that that young person who has come from a home with with a family breakdown and has had multiple other traumas in their life and is experiencing anxiety and whatever else is going on is actually going to have a plan to support their needs rather than this kind of base level, well, that person's experienced homelessness, therefore they fit into this bucket. They just don't. And, you know, we know that we're really becoming a lot more aware about, you know, how do we change the way we, we talk about it to begin with? So, For us, it's always young people experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness. It's not a homeless young person. That is not their identifier. And if we put it as their identifier, we're going to, you know, create pathways for them which just will not lead them to success and and independence out of the cycle. So I think that's a really big one. I think, I think, you know, to, to toot the social enterprise horn, um, I think social enterprises are doing a really awesome job in terms of creating employment. Um, employment is huge for, for young people. And as, as I said, once they've established that base, it, it creates that purpose and it's the same thing, you know, it also supports mental health in that way. It creates creating a purpose, allows for both of those things to begin to recover. Um, so, and it's not just creating any type of employment, it's creating a space as well where there's community, where there's social connectedness um, and it's bringing that young person into a family, um, as we like to call it, and, you know, touching on before that perhaps the family unit in its traditional sense doesn't exist for this young person anymore. Um, so how do we create a, a new type of family for them because they still are going to need that support and that structure? Finally, I talked to Andrew Hollows from Launch Housing. 
a, a broader question first, and that's just what does good mental health look like or sound like to you? Uh, look, I guess for us, good mental health means that, um, you know, individuals are able to make, um, you know, feel empowered and able to make um, good decisions around their uh, around their life. Um, to do that in a way, um, if they're being supported or not, to do that in a way where, you know, they can express the individuality and the autonomy to, to achieve that and for people to make their own decisions around what what um, what a good life looks like for them and what, what decisions in that life that they um, wish to pursue. What levels of homelessness are we currently experiencing in Victoria? Look, all up, um, the total homelessness figures are around about 24,000, uh, but built into that is different types of homelessness. So that's anything from people literally sleeping rough in the streets, uh, which is around about 10,000, through to, you know, people couch surfing, so staying with friends and family uh, or living in other forms of really insecure accommodation. In other words, not having the attributes of a good, safe home, um, and it would be our experience in the context of the the, the COVID that um, I guess the, the there's a heightened sense, I suppose, of the importance of home and, and of security. And, of course, that one's health, including one's mental health, is tightly bound to having secure housing. So I was going to ask you about that, the link between mm. homelessness and mental health. What percentage or how many people experiencing homelessness suffer from mental health issues? Um, look, it's 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 quite a large number. We did some work recently, um, earlier this year, um, with St Vincent's Hospital, where we're looking at those who are, you know, rough sleeping and also using a lot of services, be it um, emergency departments, ambulance, and the like, and the overlap between um, someone experiencing homelessness and also um, requiring assistance around mental health was quite high. We're looking at about fifty to fifty to sixty percent. But I guess for us, um, there's a real important however, issue here about causality. We're saying that just because you have mental health issue doesn't mean that you become homeless. We know there's many folk in the community who experience um, mental ill health during their life and they demonstrably aren't homeless. But certainly the combination of mental ill health, lack of support, lack of housing, all, all conspire, I guess, to, to end up in a situation where people are feeling quite desperate. What are some of the key challenges or barriers to overcoming homelessness? Oh, look, you know, front and centre, of course, is the one of lack of affordable housing supply. So we are, in say, in Victoria context, um, do have a, a, a knowledge underinvestment in social and affordable housing. And I think um, the government and everyone else will, will readily agree to that. And look, it, it, we can't underemphasise the importance of having a secure home base just to deal with the day-to-day you know, impulse of, of, of life, you know, finding work, um, looking after kids, um, training and the like as well in, in further education. So it doesn't mean effect on not having a secure home base, you know, brings its own sort of anxiousness and elevated risks there anyway. And if you do actually have a prescribed mental health issue, it just makes it so, so much harder just to deal with, you know, taking your medication, going to appointments with your GP and other specialists and the like, things that we usually would take for granted. Um, just, you know, experiencing homelessness and that uncertainty of where will I be this time next week, where will I be this time next month in terms of my accommodation, just takes it to a completely new new level. And what are the key innovations that are helping us to um, tackle homelessness? Well, certainly, um, particularly for folk who, who do experience um, longer-term mental health issues, and you, we usually would see with many clients of launch housing that um, there's a number of compounding factors. And sometimes it's trial trauma, 
Um, the experience of homelessness, particularly sleeping rough, brings its own risk and traumas anyway, you know, threat of violence or experience of violence. Uh, and particularly for women, you know, the experience of sexual assault and abuse as well. So we find that there's a cohort of folk who have been sleeping rough who will do actually need longer-term support and accommodation, including the mental health support. And we know there's models out there that they, they come from the States, but they demonstrably work. Um, one of those that we run is called Elizabeth Street Common Ground, which is long-term secure accommodation with in-house support for those people who need it. It works, it's been tested. Um, it's not a cheap model, but it's far more expensive, allowing people to wander through the different service systems, including jail, um, because of their mental health and homelessness. So how does a provider like launch um, a homelessness service interface with mental health? Are you getting referrals directly and referrals back the other um, way? Look, I would like to say yes, but I guess like all service systems, there's a lot of sort of grinding of the, of the gears, so to speak, in terms of um, how they work, how we work, how the justice system works and the like. Um, and there is a real risk um, and actuality of people falling between the cracks. That's, 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 that's certainly the case. And but the real the real issue for us is that needing to have the mental health supports one follow people where, wherever they are, wherever they are living, and secondly um, that those supports are available in a timely manner. And we know there's funding pressures on the mental health system. We get that and appreciate that, but we also know that you know when you're having a mental health ep ep episode, you need the supports now. And typically what occurs is that if you do need a, a assistance, people are typically are bouncing into the emergency department or into hospitals, which are you know, very expensive. They provide a great service, no doubt about it, but they are very expensive option. And we can have better and more immediately available community mental health options. That's certainly something that we would, would support. So from the perspective of the, the homelessness system, what are the key challenges or the biggest challenges that the mental health system is facing? Um, it's, it's largely capacity. Does there be enough capacity and timeliness to getting the support that people need um, 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 and where they need it? I mean, unfortunately, we do have a service system in place where, you know, and it's not a criticism of the hospital system, but, you know, it is system designed for getting people in and getting people out. And we do have situations, I think up to around about 50 individuals a week in Victoria being discharged out of hospitals mainly for, not solely for their mental health, but largely due to their mental health. People have been discharged back out into the street. Um, and that, that was pre-COVID. I mean, that, it doesn't happen now because of the COVID and other sort of measures in place. But the fact that 50 fellow citizens were being discharged on a weekly basis back out into the streets um, because of their mental health, it, it's, it's a recipe for people just cycling back through, back through the system time and time again. And, we, and we've seen that. Thank you so much. I think that's most of the questions actually tied up. Okay. Unless there's, is, is there something I should ask you about that I haven't asked? No, look, I, I guess the only thing I really, can't, you may want to ask me on is just, I guess, our expectations of the current Victorian Royal, Com um, Royal Commission to Mental Health, which we think is really important. Um, we know it's been delayed and we understand the reason for that. Um, but we do impress upon the state government and the Royal Commissioners is that Having access to affordable and suitable housing is a big part of solving the mental health um, problem here. And we will always use the tagline in our submission to the Royal Commission is that housing housing is good mental health. You need to have secure accommodation if you want to have the foundations to deal with other issues in someone's life, including mental health. 
I hope you enjoyed our podcast today on the overlap between homelessness and mental health. Do join us next week for a wrap-up and a look at the critical funding needs of the mental health system going forward. You've been listening to the Mental Wealth Podcast, an eight-part docuseries produced by Purposeful in partnership with Cooper Investors. Tune in to our next episode where we'll continue our journey exploring the state of mental health and well-being in Australia.